it's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talkin' Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. Alrighty, friends, welcome back to yet again another agriculture conversation here on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. Lane Nordland, happy to be with you here once again. It's been a busy few weeks. We've been at the American Farm Bureau Convention, the Potato Expo in Anaheim, and just returning back from the American Sheep Industry Association Convention in San Diego, California. We will have a few conversations uh, later here on the podcast in a future show, but... What does 2022 have in store for the cattle markets? That's what so many broke ranchers like myself are uh, hoping to find out. What is that magic uh, eight ball that we can shake and get the answer? Well, if we knew that, we'd all have those magic eight balls. But joining us as a guest today is a true market expert in the livestock arena. Joining us is Shaley Stewart, DTN Livestock Analyst and host of Cattle Market News on Facebook, YouTube, and other social media channels. First off, Shaylee, welcome to the uh, Agriculture Conversation today. Hey, thanks, Lane. I was sure excited to get the opportunity to chat with you today and your viewers. I think that you hit the, like you said, the, the ball right on the head there. So many folks are wondering what 2022 is going to encompass. And so we might as well get chatting about the conversation before we're behind the market and it's ahead of us. Well, so much has happened, Shaley, in the last few years. Uh, obviously, we've had geopolitical issues. We've had elections. We've had a pandemic. If 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 our listeners haven't noticed, we've had a pandemic for a few years. Uh, so many other factors that that come into play. And as a farm broadcaster on radio and TV, and this little podcast that I host, uh, we we are always looking for experts to help us share the news. Everyone thinks, oh, you do those markets so well. Well, I can read the markets, but I can't interpret them. I don't have the time to follow, get into the nitty gritty. And, and that's what you, Shaley, do, and your team there, at DTN, uh, uh, truly provides so much knowledge, not only to farm broadcasters, but to farmers and ranchers and commodity brokers across the nation. But uh, b- before we jump into uh, DTN, Shaley, how about you uh, share a little more about yourself? Uh, you're, you're a Montana girl. Uh, I've known you for quite some time, but uh, what what, uh, what was it like growing up in Montana? And uh, share a little bit about your background. Absolutely, Lane. Like you said, born and raised in Montana, just like yourself. And for those of you that didn't have that opportunity and privilege, I am sorry. I won't hold it against you. It uh, it truly is something like nothing else. That's that's where my passion and roots for the uh, livestock industry started. I was fortunate enough to grow up on a uh, cow-calf and hay enterprise in uh, southern Montana. And from there, that's where my passion really rooted and took its its uh, bloom from. So from there, I went on to college and then later took on an interest internship with the United States Cattlemen's Association. And that's really where my passion for the markets festered and and grew. And I was really given an opportunity to dive into the the markets in which it was so interesting as we started the conversation of what my internship was going to look like with the USCA and what my role was going to be when they said, you know what, let's dive into these markets and really talk about, you know, answering the questions that cattlemen have. And it was so funny to me, you know, you and I and everybody else as, as cattlemen and cattle enthusiasts, you know, here's this market in which we get paid on year in and year out. Sometimes it's once a year, sometimes it's multiple times a year. And here you have this embody of people who that's how they solely rely typically on their income for. But 
they don't want to talk about the markets because there's so much taboo around those simple two words, cattle markets. And so I wanted to add some clarity to the marketplace so that people felt empowered to talk about the market so that maybe they had some rhetoric dissected to where they better understood how different aspects of the market uh, traded or how they transpired or how, how the transactions go about. So that's what I set out to do. And like you said, I started that Cattle Market News Facebook page. That's where I give my updates. And from there, it fostered into the beautiful opportunity to work for DTN as their livestock market analyst. So there's been a lot of um, nothing short, but God blessings throughout my life. And that's what's landed me this opportunity now. So, and you're also lucky enough to work from home too. Yes, I am very lucky to work from home. I live in Cody, Wyoming now. Don't don't hold that against me. I know it's not in Montana anymore, but I close enough that I can there. see the state line. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, I am so fortunate. I get to work from home in Cody, Wyoming, uh, here with my husband, and so it's it's a great life. Well, again, the pandemic truly has changed the work environment, uh, not just uh, in uh, corporate America, but but in agriculture as well. Both my wife and I work from uh, our little homestead east of Great Falls now and uh, got a few cows here on the place. And again, trying try to make a go of it, but I still have to talk for a living. Uh, but but as, as we look at these opportunities, one thing that I point out, to, and, and I mentioned this before we started uh, recording this conversation, is Russell Nimitz, uh, the owner of Western Ag Network, my boss, uh, we were on TV, radio and everything. It, he, he just uh, wanted to send his compliments because of your enthusiasm, your, your depth of knowledge in the cattle markets. And I echo that. And uh, it, it takes a certain individual to have that enthusiasm and to make the markets interesting, but also uh, bring a bright spot on those days when we are not having great markets. How, how important is it for you to, to have that positive outlook, not just the positive today uh, look of, of things? How important is it for you to, to understand those, but also stay positive? Ooh, that's a really good question. And one that I sometimes have to uh, remind myself of, because like you said, the markets aren't necessarily something that we all look forward to reading day in and day out or trying to analyze and understand because they can be complex, they can be daunting. And so often we like to uh, fancy them with rhetoric that typically, you know, can be can be sorted out and filtered and and we, we just need to get to the to the nitty gritty. And I really like to focus on the fundamentals of the marketplace. And while you know what, we might be doom and gloom today and we might have a bearish outlook, which we don't necessarily in today's market, but sometimes we do, we have to remember that that when we are talking about the cattle market and addressing its issues, we are the market decision makers. And we are interested in the markets because we have assets. And just because today's market isn't opportunistic for our asset to make us money, that's not to say that in the weeks to come, in the months to come, in the next season potentially, that there won't be an opportunistic time for our assets to again make us money. And so sometimes I think that folks get caught up in the here and now and forget that we have options. And so I just really try to share that and keep that mindset of, you know what, in everything that we view and everything that we analyze, it not only has to be evaluated from a today's perspective, a tomorrow's perspective, but also in, in the time to come. So uh, obviously 2021, uh, <laughs> a lot of us just looked at that as an extension of 2020, uh, especially in Montana, right. the Dakotas, uh, in other parts of the West, yes. just the severe drought that we had. We had grasshoppers also <laughs> eating our grain crops and our hay reserves, um, and COVID still had its impact. What, what really, could, could you, in a quick little summary, what, what is your impression of 2021? You know, mainstream media would make it seem that, uh, you know, farmers and ranchers were all going to go out of business, but as a whole, you know, we actually 
survived that pretty well through one year of drought. I'm not saying we can do it for two or three years, but what, what is your professional uh, synopsis of the past year? Well, I'm really glad that you asked that question because I think that in understanding what's to come of us, we have to remember what we just came through and not only the things that caused us grief and angst, but also the triumphs that we made sometimes without even realizing it. So 2021, even though, like you said, there was immense hardship, it was a continuation of 2020. And there was, like you said, hardship to be had. We also had stellar, stellar, stellar uh, triumphs along the way. For one, let's talk about our uh, beef exports. Beef exports were phenomenal throughout 2021. And in the uh, come the fourth quarter of the year, I know that fat cattle prices throughout the first three quarters weren't necessarily something that any of us would like to hang our hats on. But by the fourth quarter, we had triumph prices, that $1.40 price range, in which hadn't been done since 2017. So the market really did a good job of, by the end of the year, becoming current. And the the psychology piece of the market also gained substantially as well. So, you know, we love to talk about the fundamental side of the market, the technical side of the market, but realistically, the psychological piece of the markets are equally as important. And that's what I was so excited about in the fourth quarter is that simply feedlots regained so much of that optimism that they longed for. Once they are able to trade cattle for $1.40, and like I said, it hadn't been done since 2017, they regained leverage, they regained the ability to see price discovery in their own markets, and it really gave them the power to say, you know what? If we want more, maybe 2022 is when we can get more. And uh, again, uh, so many folks had to liquidate their herds up in Montana um, or, or reduce them greatly or they had to ship early. And for the most part, we, we actually saw the, the calf market hold up fairly well. I mean, we, we held on to some steers and we got the highest price in December we've ever got for steers. So even with all these bad conditions, producers on the cow-calf end still got a nice price through, throughout all of this uh, horrible drought. Absolutely. You're exactly right, Lane. And I think that's important to remember. I mean, by the end of the year, the CME feeder cattle index closed the year out about $6 higher than what 2021 did, or excuse me, than what 2020 did. So even though, you know, prices maybe weren't that 2014 level that you like to look back and, and just be, you know, starstruck about, they were better than the year ahead. And so as we look to 2022, better in progress being made is something that we all can feel excited about and look towards 22 with optimism. Now, I want to talk about the outlook for 2022, but truly, we just got our last recap of 2021 with that January 1st cattle on feed report. And that 6% uh, increase that we saw in placements uh, truly uh, through the markets and uh, had people, uh, to me, it's not that surprising because of the drought, but I, I know a lot of analysts out there weren't expecting that big of a jump. So as we take that report, kind of looking at the last cattle on feed for the year, what, what are your thoughts on that? What was your interpretation and uh, how, how's that going to influence uh, prices in the coming months now? Well, I think that you hit the nail on the head there when you said it wasn't that surprising, given that you understood the drought condition in which much of the West and even in parts of the central United States are dealing with. I'm glad that you had that perspective. And I hope that most people, after they got time to, to read the report, analyze the report, digest the report and step away, they could make the, the analyzation that, you know what, where else were these cattle supposed to go? 
And I know that, you know, some people maybe were caught off guard just simply because it was a 6% increase in which we don't expect that on the cattle on feed report. We like to see a percent here, maybe two or 3% here, but a 6% jump that that's just unheard of. But a couple of things that I'd like to make note of there, when you really dove into the placement numbers and understood the weights in which these cattle were coming into the feedlots for, you understood that those calves aren't going, or those calves and feeders, depending on the weight bracket there, they're not going to hinder the spring 2022 market. Given how light those cattle were, they're going to be marketed in the summer of 2022. And so it shouldn't come as a hindrance to the early spring uh, 2022 rally for the live cattle market. And I think that's what so many people were afraid of. They were just thinking that those cattle were going to weigh down that April rally potentially, and it just really set the market back in and be a hindrance for the market there. So like you said, Lane, I think that there is nothing that you can uh, draw from the conclusion on the latest cattle on feed report. Other than that, it was a drought driven market. There, where else were, were feeders supposed to go? Hay prices are high. There is really no grass to be grazed. And if there is grass to be grazed, cows are grazing it and wheat pastures didn't make. So those calves ultimately had no other option but to find themselves in feedlots. And that's where they that's where they went. So that's what we can conclude from the January 2022 cattle on feed report. And now I know as folks uh, next week, that cattle industry convention is going to be held. That's always the number one question uh, during uh, this meeting. And every cattle producer meeting is, what, what's what's the next year have in store? And, of course, I joked about it earlier, you know, shaking that magic eight ball and, and looking at it. But, again, we, we don't know if that drought is going to continue. Here in Montana, yeah, we got cold weather. We've had some snow. But in north-central Montana, when the wind blows, it all goes away. I mean, I just talked to a rancher. I was just talking to a rancher that was pulling fence posts out and fencing today. Like, so that, that's your January 27th uh, outdoor report for, that was in <laughs> southeast Montana. But uh, as we, we look at these current situations, uh, obviously moving early into 2022, um, we, we saw these packing plants pull back a little bit of processing speed because of the uptick in the Omicron uh, COVID variant. And that almost brings back some uh, deja vu of when we didn't have any capacity, uh, slaughter capacity at our plants. What, uh, I guess, what, what, what are things looking like? What, what did we see in that slowdown? How many head per week at the height of Omicron? We are seeing that come down. And uh, I guess, did we learn some lessons from the first big round of COVID when those plants shut down? Oh, you're, you're hitting a subject in which is just near and dear to my heart, because as soon as we entered into 2022, there's just something magical about the first of the year that everybody comes into the marketplace with, you know, they're excited, they're motivated, they want more. And then here we come into 2022 when the market's fundamentals are really optimistic and boom, first week of 2022. And we have our hurdle. We see Omicron spike and we see worker absenteeism increase. And now we're processing 5% less cattle in the packing plants than what we were the week up before. And you say 5%, who cares? That's just, you know, it's 5% out of 100. What is 5%? Well, I'm here to tell you that when we're only processing 113,000 to 114,000 head a day, as opposed to that typical 120 to 122,000 head mark, that is a big deal. 
especially when you accompany that with the fact that our carcass weights are absurdly higher than what they were of a year ago. I mean, just last week, for goodness gracious, the most recent actual slaughter data shared that steers averaged 928 pounds for the first week in January, and that was steady with the week before, but 16 pounds heavier than that of a year ago. So take those numbers and just do them yourself. Take 16 extra pounds and multiply that times 120,000 head per day, and you see not only are we having extra cattle that we're going to have to process in the weeks ahead, but then also that added tonnage. So it's really burdensome for the marketplace. And like you said, we understand dreadfully what that did in 2020. And we do not want to be in those same shoes. We just finally regained currentness in the feedlot sector. And as we look to, you know, the end of March, first part of April or first part of May, you know, feedlots were really excited to see what that spring rally could be. And as they, you know, absorb now the fourth week of these reduced processing speeds, they're shaking their heads and saying, when are we going to get back to full capacity? This, this is going to become problematic to the point where it is going to hinder the spring rally. Now, thankfully, we're, we're going to take the market it, for what it is, and the spring's going to be what it's going to be. But thankfully, we just simply know, based on supply and demand economics, that the later half of the year is going to bode positively, regardless of what this spring ends up doing, just simply because there's less cows contributing to the overall marketplace. <laughs> and uh, again, we wrapped up uh, last year, those uh, f- feedlots, they were, they were actually uh, uh, pretty happy. I, I was talking to a few producers out in Nebraska, and and when a feedlot's able to make a few dollars, uh, they 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 rejoice. Uh, my, my friend Bill Rischel <laughs> out of Nebraska, uh, of course, uh, in the uh, uh, purebred Angus uh, game, he he joked with me one time that he's not brave enough to be in the feeding industry himself, and so he always takes his hats off to the feeders. But you know that that also uh, impacts kind of what a forecast could be for what you know, a cow calf producer could be looking at. And uh, again, those feedlot guys are the ones that buy our calves. Absolutely. And so it's like you said, it's all cyclical and our market works together. And so it's really hard to ask for higher prices on the on the cow calf side of things when feeders when feedlots aren't getting the prices that they need. So, like I said, hopefully we're going to just get through the spring, regain currentness. You know, we're sitting pretty good as we sit here today. We're only in our fourth week. And like I said, we're seeing a a five percent drop in uh, overall processing capacity versus what we saw in 2020. And so we'll be able to rebound from this. But like I said, you know, time is of the essence. And when you have the added factor of not only a reduced, you know, per per head per day scenario, but also the added tonnage, we need to get this uh, situation under wraps quickly. Well, Shaylee, again, I, I'm, I'm so much enjoying this conversation and your insight, and I know our listeners are, but we are going to take just a quick commercial break because this will lead into the conversation about uh, what the forecast could be for our calf prices here this year. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be back right after these words. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association is the definitive voice of cattle producers in our nation's capital. NCBA is working on behalf of its members to protect your operation from government overreach and rising taxes. But the cattle business is under pressure and we need every producer to join us to protect our way of life. Join NCBA today and help us protect the future of your farmer ranch. Visit ncba.org or call 866 866- 6-233-3872 for more information. 
All right. Thank you so much to the sponsor of our podcast. And as we return back, Shaylee Stewart, DTN Livestock Analyst and host of Cattle Market News on social media. Shaylee, we were talking about uh, right before the break, uh, looking at that slowdown in processing speeds as the Omicron variant uh, reduced the number of solder plant workers and a 5% reduction in uh, processing capacity over the past few weeks. And this all still goes hand in hand on how we prepare for the upcoming calving season and marketing season, specifically for uh, cow-calf producers. What uh, I, I guess, what are some of the factors that you were looking at and when we're looking at what uh, calves are going to be bringing and, and really what, uh, what the fact market might be bringing here in the next six months to a year? Oh, those are fun questions, Blaine. And I think that they're one that everybody is anxious to kind of get their hands on because we know that 2022 is going to be a year where hopefully there's more profit taking to be had in the cow, calf and feeding sectors. So as we look to the year ahead, obviously we know that, you know, come that January 31st cattle inventory report, we're obviously going to see some stark drop off in our uh, nation's beef cow inventory. And so I've been doing a lot of uh, analysis on that inventory report and just kind of trying to look back to years past to see if we could gain any knowledge or data from that. And so obviously, you know, as you look to 2012 data, if you remember back then, we had a severe drought in the South. And so then in 2012, we saw cows being sold left and right. Hay was being trucked from Montana and from Canada down into the South for those producers. We uh, saw uh, the nation's cow herd drop in 2013 and in 2014, and then it started to peak again. Well, last year, we actually saw a drop in the nation's cow herd by just a small percentile, and actually we did in 2020 as well. So as we look for the 2022 data to come out, I'm extremely optimistic for cow-calf producers and even those in the feeding sector. Whenever you have less mama cows contributing to the greater beef industry, that is where the heart of the factory starts. And so obviously we have to offset, you know, just the simple supply and demand economics with our input costs. And even though, you know, we're going to have fewer cows contributing to the marketplace, we're still going to be faced with extremely high corn prices, extremely high hay prices. And so while I'm extremely excited for individuals, um, you know, it's it's tough to put your finger on and say exactly where the market's going to go and one that I typically don't stick my neck out on the line too far for just because I, uh, you know, so many people ask, well, are we going to see 2014 all over again? And while I think that the markets are going to get exceptionally stronger than what they were this past year, I'm not going to say that we're going to see 2014 all over again. And when we look at geopolitical uh, uh, issues, like right now, obviously your friends on the commodity side, on, on the crop side, they've really been closely watching, for example, the Ukraine and Russian uh, border crisis. We, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how the U.S. is going to play into that. That has thrown the markets on the on the crop side of things. They were 30, 60 cents higher at the start of the week. Now they've corrected a little bit just because they're following the Paris milling market for wheat prices. But how how do you describe that to producers that, you know, they, they may have only gone to their local livestock market and they've watched their calves sell and they've sold to the same buyer in Nebraska for so many years. And, and maybe that's all they pay attention to the markets. But I always get asked, why do you talk about so much international news? Well, agriculture is international, is what I tell them. What, what, what? It, when you're talking with the producer in back home in Montana or down, down where you're living now in Co- Cody, how do you explain that? All these outside factors that impact it. I mean, it could be, a, you know, I mean, <laughs> something happening twenty thousand miles away. It seems, and it still could impact the U.S. cattle market. What, 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 what is your take on that, or, or solutions you, you give people? 
Ooh, I think that's a really good question. And I think that it might be easier to hit home with cattlemen and cow-calf producers if you bring it back to their source. I mean, how, how does an outbreak of mad cow disease affect you internally? You know, regardless if it's, you know, not on our soil, but whether it's a, a neighbor or, you know, some somewhere in Brazil or Australia, you know, you kind of cringe a little bit because there's there's always the the chance and the uh, potential that we have that same set of circumstances presented to here to us here in the United States. For instance, you know, with the hog market right now, ASF, African swine fever is a problem in Europe and in and abroad realistically throughout the globe. And so as the hog market rallies, you know, we're hoping to get phenomenal export opportunities, but then you always have that, that kind of that little voice in the back of your head of, well, what happens if it comes here? And so I understand that it's frustrating to analyze the international markets, but realistically, like you said, it's a dynamic relationship where all of our markets are tied together. And just because it doesn't seem like it's close to home or it's going to affect us here, whether we get in a small pocket of Montana or Wyoming or where at wherever in the United States, you know, like you said, the, the business happening right now with you, Ukraine and Russia, you, you wouldn't think of it initially, but you know what, if something happens in the Black Sea and they're not able to get corn transported through those waters as they typically do, that's drastically going to affect our market because they are all intertwined together. And, uh, you know, we look at the Asian Pacific. It's been a big uh, export opportunity, and those opportunities continue to grow, uh, specifically in Korea and China and Japan. And obviously the pandemic really ha had an impact because African swine fever was rampant in China. And I, and it was my belief, just from everyone that I've talked to, that we were, I mean, we were going to see those record prices in 2020. And then... COVID happened. And you mentioned African swine fever. I mean, it, it's gotten pretty close to the U.S. Cuba, I think, is the closest at this point. But if we right. see that protein cut out here in the U.S., I, that's more of an that's an opportunity. And that's horrible for our pork producers. I'll, I'll say that first first off. But for for cattle producers, that's a great protein niche opportunity. But when we look at Asia, what what are what what is your gut feeling when we're looking at those uh, increases in exports or just those destinations? And everyone always asks, why do we export our beef? Oh, that's a great question. And it's because we were opportunists. And you know what, if we've got the opportunity to continue to make beef, you know what, we're going to send it to whoever wants it, who wants to put it on their grill. We know how good and savory it is. We want them to have a, a taste for it too, because that's more market potential for us. And so, you know, there's this, this market's tough. And so if there's a market and an opportunity, we need to capitalize on it. Now, I know that a lot of people were kind of fearful of China being such a big, you know, beef importing country from us in the United States, because we know our relationship with China is complex and it's dynamic and it's, it's here and supportive today. But I mean, goodness gracious, China was our third largest uh, buyer this past year. And so what happened? if they're not aggressive in the markets to come? And that's a phenomenal question because our relationship with China is complex and it could be very devastating for our export market. But I think that's where we just really need to push the fact that we need to rely on our uh, you know, beef associates to go out and create more markets and to continue to spread the advocacy of free U.S. beef and that we need to touch as many countries as we can and open more export opportunities so that we're never you know, tied to one country, one, one group of people's to where we could become in a hindered position. Now, when I talk to producers, sometimes they'll ask me questions about the futures. And, you know, describe that a little bit more for me. Why, why are fat cattle doing this and that? 
And and I think there's a lot of cow-calf producers in particular out there that are too afraid to ask for help in understanding the cattle futures and using them as a risk management tool. I always hear, well, I don't have the money to be playing in the futures market. And, and, And truly, I think it's because producers, they work their tails off. They understand the risk of raising livestock, but then... You know, it, it, they're just like, you know, I, I, I don't have an economics degree. I'm not an expert in the cattle markets. What are some tips that you share with producers or that, and that, again, this goes back to your commentary that, that I enjoy reading. Maybe I don't understand the markets. Maybe I'm the one that's afraid to ask this, Shaylee. <laughs> but but uh, so many people that I've talked to, I, I think they're just so scared about saying that they quite don't understand that marketplace. What What is your elevator speech to these producers that have been in the business 40, 50, 60 years, and they're maybe scared to use the futures as a risk management tool, or they just don't trust them as a risk management tool? Ooh, this is one of my favorite questions, Landon. So I'm so thankful that you asked it. And I, first and foremost, I just want to, I want to address the elephant in the room. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many years you've been analyzing the markets. I don't care what degree you have or what degree you don't have, how many thousands and millions and potentially billions of cattle transactions you've been a part of. You are still going to have more to learn about the markets if you are presented with tomorrow, because there are things like black swan events that we've become so familiar familiar with. And you know what? The rules of the markets are continuing to change and evolve and they're dynamic. And so I first and foremost want to tell individuals who are fearful of looking silly or stupid or inferior or whatever acronym you want to put on it, that these are the markets. None of us are ever going to know exactly, you know, every nitty gritty and tidbit about them. So I would say that your ranch and your bottom line has more to gain by you sticking your neck out on the line and trying to protect some of those dollars by either gaining knowledge and just simple conversation or by simply, you know, maybe shaking your hand at the markets and trying to invest that way. And I know that so many folks, like you said, they just, they won't, they won't approach the conversation just because they're not going to throw the funds at it because they don't understand it. Well, thankfully in today's uh, arena, there are so many different organizations and companies that can help you with that. So I think that you need to just go to somebody that you trust uh, with the markets and they can point you in the direction of, hey, I really think that you should talk to this group of investors and they can help you. They're good people. They really understand. They have a savvy perspective on the markets and they can help you. You don't need to sit behind the computer screen because it's a full-time job. And so I understand that you don't have the time to do that, but let's let's go ahead and have you talk to this group of individuals. They'll point you in the right direction. Also, Shaley, we are seeing quite a bit of activity and seeing more regionalized uh, uh, packing houses uh, coming together, whether they're co-ops or folks are pooling money to build them. And maybe it's a smaller, you know, as I mentioned, maybe it's a co-op of producers that is are, are able to process a few hundred head a week. Now, though, obviously, though, that's data that's most likely not going to get reported to USDA and and truly make it into the mix on on some of the uh, big news that comes out from the departments that really sways the markets. But as we look at more uh, more of these regional plants come out, how how, how does that change uh, the the factor of uh, what these feedlots may be able to uh, compete with when they're looking at more packing plants uh, on the books. Uh, What are the pros and cons of that, I guess, when we're looking at a plant that wants to process 5,000 head a a week, but they might not be able to afford to in 10 years from now. And, you know, that plant might not be theirs anymore. What, what, What are the pros?
pros and cons of this conversation um, because a local butcher shop is essential, but it's better when they're process or they're killing those cattle at that local butcher shop. Absolutely. And this is one that's hard to, to really dive into because like you said, there are so many pros and cons and we come at this conversation with so much energy and optimism because, you know, so many individuals and ranchers, they just get tired. I mean, since the, since the eighties, we've been dealing with the rhetoric of darn those Packers, right? You know what? They take too much of the market share. They control too much. We're tired of it. And I mean, goodness gracious, since the 1980s, we've been having this rhetoric. So, so often the conversation piece and the solution is we're going to build more packing plants. And I commend you. I commend anybody who throws energy and dollars and efforts towards something of that nature. And I think that largely on a, on a very local level, we'll, we will see more packing plants uh, instated. I think that the consumers through the pandemic have learned that it is a phenomenal opportunity and it's a sheer privilege to get to have a relationship with your meat provider. And so I think that largely we are going to see a lot of uh, smaller packing plants come online. Now, we've also heard a lot of news about some bigger ones that actually, you know, contribute to the supply chain and that are, you know, going to go online and such, such as a sustainable beef in Nebraska. And there's a few others. And uh, some of those will be successful and some of them won't. It's a very complex and it's a very dynamic and it's a very political environment. And so when you think about those uh, packing sectors, there's a lot of money that has to be invested. You have to have some, you have to have capital to buy. And I know that that seems easy, but it's not. And you also have somebody who has, that's going, excuse me. You also have to have somebody that's willing to buy your meat from the processing factor from the, excuse me, processing plant. So it's a very, very, very tough business plan. And not to mention the amount of water you have to have the workers that you have to have, but you know what, in regards to how you can uh, come up with solutions to alleviate some of the headache and the, and the just disgruntled nature of the marketplace, I don't think that supporting something like this is something that you should overlook. And farm labor, it's something that on air we talk about all the time. That was one of the key issues that we discussed at the American Sheep Industry Association. Obviously, uh, sheep producers, goat producers utilize the H-2A guest worker program. And uh, then you go to our, our largest packing plants in the nation, and they're truly the most diverse work places in the nation there, there could be 29 different languages or more spoken um i i toured uh i think it was jbs Greeley probably eight years ago and uh i i, I i'm not getting paid by the packers folks i just got to tour it but <laughs> if i was getting paid by the packers i i, I wouldn't be talking for a living here but uh <laughs> <laughs> a little humor Today, for our yeah. Po- yeah, a little humor for our, our audience out there that's probably rolling their eyes about now. But to to go into those plants where they're processing several thousand head a day, and to see the different uh, workers and all of them are were at one point foreign born, most likely they've uh, they're they're uh, gaining employment in the U.S. and the turnover though is still so high in those plants and that's I think I am so glad you brought up farm labor just because a lot of our communities especially in Great Falls the conversation around a packing plant here is well we don't want any uh, uh, you know we don't want pollution uh, of our waters and they don't want I've heard one percent we don't want the riffraff around and I'm like but you want to buy local meat I, and I always try to play devil's advocate on 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 the pro and con side of that farm labor truly is as it always has been uh, going to drive the future of U.S. agriculture. Our grandparents and great-grandparents used to have seven, ten kids to run the place. <laughs> we we don't see that anymore because it's so expensive. Uh, 
<laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. and whatnot. We have driving, we have autonomous tractors through John Deere now. So, so many different <laughs> factors uh, coming into the this 21st century world that we live in. But, uh, Shaylee, I, I know you have a busy day. I've been reading your commentary also during the noon radio as well here today. So I know you've been busy, especially prepping uh, for that cattle inventory report coming out next week. But what uh, what are some last thoughts or uh, comments you just want to share with our audience that uh, that I uh, maybe skipped over or we didn't cover that that you think is truly so important for producers uh, of any type of agriculture operation, livestock, crop? Maybe they're small, maybe they're big. What are, what are your last thoughts? I'm really glad that you gave me the opportunity to just kind of recap because Lane, when we look at the markets in 2022, I think one thing that we have to remember is that we have to keep not only, we have to be up to date and informed and knowledgeable about the dynamics of today's market, the developments that come, but we also have to keep a long-term perspective. And it is so important to monitor and balance those two because just because, you know what, right now our throughput isn't necessarily efficient, that does not mean that come the second half of 2022, we're going to have belittled or depressed markets. And so I really encourage folks to absorb the information from a trying to, and I know it is so hard. I know it is so hard because we are emotionally invested in this market. We are financially invested in this market. We're invested in every every possible way, but try to absorb the market information for just what it is and then move on move on, let the markets be the markets. And remember that your asset is your asset. You are always given the opportunity to change your market marketing strategy and position whenever you, the market uh, decision maker, wants to. So just because you had the plan of marketing your calves, let's say in October, you know what? You have to take into consideration some other factors. Look at the other windows of opportunities that might be in front of you that you're overlooking just simply because of uh, the way that you've marketed in the past. Continue to have a flu marketing plan and i think that is so important now again i'm jumping back into the the sagebrush here because a thought just came into my head is you know we we were talking about prices in 2014 and we saw the the uh, cattle herd reduce a little bit due to that drought specifically in the south and uh, let's just say we do get rain up here in montana and uh folks are able to maybe retain those heifers or, or keep some of those bred cows they didn't think about. They're going to, you know, calve them out and graze them and, and ship them off. And that's another good year. And maybe prices will be good this year. But how fast can cattle producers change that market just by, I don't want to use the term greedy because I don't want to come off as an ass. And, and truly, I'm not trying to here, but we're, we're trying to make money. We're trying to regrow our herds. But when we, in yes. 2015, we saw people retaining their heifers or, or bringing heifer calves in here. We didn't see some of these cows that were older going to slaughter because you could got you could get one to three more calves out of these older cows. What should folks be wary of as we watch if if we come out of this drought and folks can rebuild their herds? How fast could that impact the markets negatively? Ooh, very good question. I've been doing a lot of research and studying on this exact matter about restocking after a drought. And I think that what folks don't realize is actually the biggest cash flow hits to your enterprise when you have to re- when you have to sell cows because of drought conditions is actually the year after the drought. And so let's look at 2012. 
2012, then comes 2013, then what's next? Aha, 2014. And when people reduced their herds in 2012, they didn't have the calves to market in 2014 when the market nearly jumped to the moon. And what I'm here to tell you is that in the studies that I've read and the research that I've done, uh, drought uh, reducing situations typically affect your bottom line and your operation for, believe it or not, the next seven to 10 years because you get rid of the cows. You have to go find cows to rebuy. Then you have to call out the ones that simply don't make from that transaction that you bought and you're continually just rebuilding. And so I really, I know that hay is expensive and I'm not here to tell you what to do with your business, but simply just to uh, invigorate conversation. But what I'm here to say is that supply and demand economics are truly do not lie. And as we look to 2014, that is the smallest our cow herd has ever been at 29 million head. And so as we look to the report that comes out here in just a couple of days, I think that you guys need to cling to that data and let it be the drivers of a lot of the decisions you're making. Because I think that like you indicated, Lane, it's going to be extremely costly to get back into these females after you've let them go. And we sat, you did, and I know I did too. You sat in sale barns, you sat in reputable sales and you saw females go, go up to $3,000 yeah. a mark. And while that's fun and that's invigorating to hear, that is hard to pencil. That is hard to make your operational profitable with. It takes how many years for that female to earn her keep? So I, I really would like to advocate for producers to, if they can, keep as many females as possible. I know it's hard when hay is as pricey as it is and grass is as hard to come by, but um, this market's on the uptick. And so you want to be playing offense, not defense. I'm so glad we were able to to bring up that point because it, it's just so important that folks think about that or or maybe they just consider leasing their grass out to the neighbors and making your land payment yeah. that way. That that I mean so so important so much important information Shaylee Stewart was able to share with us here today. Shaylee can can you share how folks can learn more, read your commentary and also uh, uh watch uh, your your uh, cattle market news uh, updates as well every week on social media. I'll let you give your plug. Hey, thanks, Lane. Appreciate it. If you're looking for more information, go to Cattle Market News on Facebook or on YouTube. And if you're wanting a more in-depth search of the markets, go ahead and find me at dtn.com where you'll be able to get all the market information there as well. So thank you so much, Lane. Sure. Appreciate the opportunity to chat today. And some folks, Shaylee, might be thinking, what is DTN? And, and I can say, well, if you know what the progressive farmer is, there we go. DTN, progressive farmer, uh, us farm broadcasters and, and, and guys that are in the markets, they know what DTN is. But uh, DTN, progressive farmer, uh, great resources. It's it, And for our producers that are weary about paying a, 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 a uh, subscription for information, it's it's well worth getting that uh, top of the line information from the experts like Shaylee and the entire crew there at uh, DTN. Uh, again, Shaylee Stewart, thank you so much for joining us. As uh, she mentioned, check her out on her social media platforms with Cattle Market News and, of course, on DTN. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us here on yet again another agriculture conversation. These are the type of uh, topics that I want to cover here every single week. If there is someone you would like to be uh, featured, make sure and drop me a note online at nordlandcommunications.com or my Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster. Talking Ag Lane is my handle on there and on Instagram as well. Again, Shaylee, thanks for joining us here today. Hey, thanks, Lane. All righty, that'll do it for today's Agriculture Conversation. I'm Lane Nordland. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. 
For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.